There are only two kinds of people in this world. Only two kinds. You're one or the other. When you go to a hotel, you're either the kind of person that unpacks, uses the drawers, you know, gets all your stuff all nice and neat, or you live out of your suitcase, right? And you're there for a few days and you're just going through stuff, right? You're only one or the other. This is a, this is a true fact of life. And we can talk about it after if you really want to, but. So here's the thing. Though you know when you go to a hotel, you know it's just, it's just temporary. You know, the longest you've ever stayed in a hotel might be a week or so. And you don't live in the hotel in a way that you live at home. Even if you're the kind of person that unpacks and uses the drawers and things, you still live in a hotel different than you would at your house. But imagine, if you will, that you're sitting in a, in a hotel lobby and, and you see someone bringing in far too many things. And they're bringing in their favorite furniture. They're bringing in their own lamp. And you'd be like, something is off here because you don't go to a hotel to live permanently. You go to a hotel to live temporarily. And my fear is that we as Christ followers have sometimes got our own wires crossed because we're called to live here only temporarily. We're not supposed to be comfortable like we've made our home here. This world is not our home. And today we're going to dive more into this idea here out of the book of 1 Peter. And so if you have your Bible with you, or if you're at home, grab your Bible, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. All the text will be on the screen, but we'll be there here in just a minute. I want to welcome you again this morning. I know Luke did earlier, but my name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministry staff here. And we're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. And I really am, for my own sake, really glad to see you all today. Um, you know, it is a little bit of a different experience preaching to an empty room versus having people here. So I'm glad that you're here with us today. If you're home, we're glad that you're able to tune in um, as well. I want to, um, we want to tell you that we've been, you know, fervently praying for you all week. You know, this week, last week, we weren't here because we thought there might be a little snow and just to be safe, but it turned into something that we were not expecting, and so our hearts go out to you, especially those who have, have been suffering some of the worst of this. And, you know, only by the Spirit's leading, this was no fault of, you know, we didn't do this. We don't get credit for it. The Spirit gets credit for it. But next week we were doing our Blue Bucket Sunday already. It's been on the books for months. And come to find out, this is a perfect opportunity for us as a church family to take up a special offering for our community. We didn't know this was coming, but we want to be able to say yes to meet all the needs that will come. We know that the worst is probably behind us as far as the weather, but there will be consequences from last week for, for maybe even for months for some people. And we know that there are already needs out there, and this church family wants to say yes to helping, to being able to provide for those needs if they come. So my ask to you today is that you will be in prayer this week what your family can do, what you can give over and above maybe your normal offering. And next week, we're going to take up our blue bucket offering as well. And as every week, what we tell you is that every time we do that, it, that gift is not for here. If we have needs in from this church family, we will meet those as well. But we also want to use this to help those in our community. You know, we set a goal of $8,000 and I have hope in the biblical sense I'm confident that we'll meet that number because of what you guys have done in the past, how giving and generous you are. 
And what we want to tell you is that we already have earmarked some of that money. That there are kids in Grand Prairie that because of spring break, we're going to provide them meals even over spring break if they rely on schools for meals. So we're already going to do that. And we know there's going to be other needs as well. So we hope that you'll partner with us next week so that we can be a light to this community. We can meet those needs, uh, those physical needs that may arise. Blue Bucket will be next week. Um, I want to remind you where we've been in 1 Peter. Again, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. But 1 Peter is written to a people in Asia Minor. And these people, they haven't moved necessarily uh, immediately. They haven't, um, you know, moved from one country to another. They haven't been moved in any sense of the word. However, Peter calls them foreigners and exiles. They, something has changed in their life. Now, on one hand, nothing has changed. And on the other hand, everything has changed. What has happened is that they have given up allegiance um, to Rome, and they've pledged allegiance to God. And so because of that, everything has changed. Some of these people might live in the same homes that they grew up in. They might work at the same place. They might take the same path, you know, walk by, say hello to the same people on their way to the market or a friend's house or whatever. And yet now they are called foreigners and exiles because the most important thing in their life has changed. And so today we're going to get into a text that, again, just Peter is writing to a people and how do we deal with this? How do we live as devoted people to God, as Christ's followers in this scenario. And so there's a lot that I think we as Christians in 2021 can pull from this as well. So let's start reading today in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorifies God on the day he visits us. So last week we talked about living in holiness and to pursue holiness as a Christ follower. And Peter starts the same section by basically, basically saying the same thing. You abstain from sinful desires. Even if those sinful desires are viewed as good or acceptable in your society, you don't pursue those desires. He says that's how you wage war on your soul. It's this weakening, this a downgrading of your soul. And so I love the imagery that he uses here because it is this battle imagery. But I think what he says is uh, you don't enter into that, that arena because you've been freed from that arena from Christ. So you don't go back into that arena. You abstain from sinful desires. You run away from that battle. And I think that that's true for us today as well, that we don't, we don't try to match up against our sinful desires. We try to, to run away from those, to avoid those, because we know that we don't want to get into that kind of battle. You know, we've been talking, we're going to talk all year about um, God's kingdom. You know, our theme this year as a church is your kingdom come. And we are not members of this kingdom. We're members of God's kingdom. And so because of that, we live in holiness. And so what Peter writes here is that you're foreigners and exiles. And so you're going to look different than your society. And, what, and what's going to happen because of that is you're going to be alienated in your society. You're going to start to be kind of pushed to the margins. You're going to look a little different, a little weird, a little strange. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like to look different. You know, I like to look the same as myself. I don't like to stick out. And you probably resonate with that a little bit as well. But he says, you live such good lives that even though people wrongly accuse you, they'll glorify God in the end. So here's what's happening. This, this church is meeting and they're, they're starting to look a little different. And now people are, are starting to notice that. 
And they're starting to say, I mean, something is off with those people. You know, the, the guy that I work with or the neighbor that I have, something has changed in his life. To be sure, you don't go to the Roman temples and make sacrifices anymore. That, that is for sure. You don't do that anymore. But they also will, will start to wrongly accuse you because of your discipleship. Because you're following God, following Christ, people are going to start to accuse you of different things. Now, one thing that they might have accused them of is a practice we just partook in. You know, we, we take communion and we kind of take it for granted. If you've been in church, you know, for a lot of times, you just, we got, kind of go through the motions. But imagine if this Christianity thing is new and you hear of your neighbor going to meet with people and they're eating the body and drinking the blood. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? It sounds a little different and a little strange. And, and then you go to your neighbor and go, you know what? You know what he's doing? He's getting together with people. And they're eating the body and drinking the blood. That's strange. And so Christians in the first century were being falsely accused of many things, but one of them was, um, was eating of people and drinking of physical blood. And, God, and Peter writes here, he says, you know what, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, and later he's going to say, even though they, they partake in ignorant talk, you, do, you live in such a good way that they can't help but glorify God. You do such good in your society and to your neighbors that they will glorify God on the day he visits. See, what makes us stand out is our holy living, is our choosing a different way. And as I just mentioned, you know, I don't like to stand out. I don't like to be different. And maybe you've had this experience before of somebody makes a pop culture reference or something they saw on TV the night before and you, and you didn't know what it was. And nowadays, what do you do? You jump on, um, you know, Google and you try to figure out what are they talking about? Because you don't want to be the only one that doesn't know what's going on. Now, imagine this is, is that, you know, multiplied by about 10 or so. And now you're, you're standing out. You're, you're being different. Or if you've ever visited another country, you've had this experience before. You've been a literal foreigner in another country so the first time I remember experiencing this is I went to Nairobi, Kenya for a summer in college. I was 19. I spent the summer there. And, and I don't know if you know about Nairobi, but it is a big city. There, it, it, by population, is bigger than the DFW metro area. There are more people in Nairobi than there are in DFW. Huge area. And you may not also know this about Nairobi, but I don't really look like people that come from Nairobi, Kenya. And so, and so I stood out everywhere I went. And it was a very new experience of going and being the outsider and being the foreigner. And what Peter's writing is he's saying, that's how you're called to live. You're called to live in such a way that the people look at you strange and different. And, and you know, we hold people that are different kind of at arm's length, don't we? Now, as Christ followers, we're called all through the New Testament not to live that way. In fact, you can even go into the Old Testament and how God asks his people, calls his people to live. But human nature is such that when people are different, we notice them, don't we? When they talk different than us, when they wear different clothing, when they act different, when they look different, they stick out to us. And what Peter is saying is that that's how you're called to live. You're called to live in such a way that you're so different that people take notice. And because of that, there will be a suffering there will be a marginalization, a pushing out, if you will. Jesus himself even says this. He calls us to do good, just like First Peter says. And in Luke chapter 6, Peter says, Jesus says, you know, it's easy to love those who love you back, but love even your enemies and do good to them. 
So this is, this is the life that Peter and likewise Jesus is calling us to, that we live this, this with such goodness that people take note, even if they're treating us poorly. Let's continue in verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So I know submission is everyone's favorite conversation to have. How to submit, who to submit to, what does that look like? We love submitting to others, don't we? You know, from birth, we have had to submit to other people. When you're born and you have parents and you have to submit to their authority, don't you? When you're in their household. And you get into school and you submit to the teacher's authority or the principal's authority and you get those, that first boss and you have to submit to their authority. And you know what? Every stage of life, you have an authority over you that you have to submit to. And what Peter is doing here is he's acknowledging that. You have authority. And though you don't believe and act like they do anymore, you still have to submit to that authority. Now, again, I've talked about how how people are starting to be marginalized in this society because of that. Now, there is not empire-wide persecution going on at this time. You know, most scholars believe that 1 Peter was written under the time of Emperor Nero. And under Emperor Nero, there was persecution, though not widespread. You can go read about later, but Emperor Nero does carry out persecution in Rome itself. He persecutes Christians as the emperor. Now, Peter is writing from Rome, and so he might experience that himself. But what, what Peter's readers are, are experiencing is, again, this marginalization, this, this throwing out outside of the center of society. They're starting to be treated like foreigners and exiles. And here even, he says, even that authority that doesn't treat you well, you still give it honor. Now, there is a difference here. Before they adopted Christ as their savior, they would have been taught and they would have worshiped the emperor. And they no longer worship the emperor. They give honor to the emperor. And that is a significant shift between giving something worship and giving them honor. What Peter does here is it's not so much an endorsement of the government, of the emperor. It's not saying that this is a holy person or a good government. But what it is saying is that as an act of devotion to God, you submit to the earthly rulers over you. You give them the honor that is due them. No more, no less, but you give the honor that is due them. And it says, like we just mentioned, that there will be ignorant talk from foolish people. People will levy accusations against you, but even still, you do good, and then you'll show them to be foolish. You'll show them to be ignorant. And what I imagine is happening is, is people are accusing Christians of something, and it's, and it's like accusing them of something, and then someone hears that, but as they get to know the Christian, they go, there's nothing here. You know, it's kind of like what happens in Jesus's own life. There are accusations made against Jesus, and And when they find out there's nothing here, Pilate himself, when Jesus is in front of him, he says, I can find no wrongdoing here. Jesus has lived in such a way that there is no wrongdoing in him. And and we're called to live the same. That when people get to know us, when people see us, all they see is good. 
and that this talk becomes just that, ignorant talk from foolish people. So we're called to live as a positive testimony for the Lord, that when we live in that way, people come to know him. And I love how it ends. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And I think what Peter is saying here is just give every type of relationship its due. How, whatever relationship you're a part of, whatever authority there is over you, you give it its due. That's exactly what Peter's saying. And Jesus, again, said the same thing. When asked, you know, do we pay tax or not? Jesus says, we give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And we give to God what's God. Even Jesus lived in such a way that First Peter is describing here. And I think one of the best biblical examples we have of this is Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, Daniel is a Jewish exile in Babylon. And Daniel is living and working in such a way that he's rising up the ranks. And he is basically running all of Babylon. And his peers don't really like this because he's different. He's an exile. He's, he's not one of us. He's not a Babylonian. He's a Jew. And so they know that there's not much that they can accuse Daniel of. They can't say he's not good at his job. He's great at his job. They can't say he doesn't work hard or he's not trustworthy. He, he's all of those things. King Darius knows he can trust Daniel. But there is one thing that they know they can say. They can say that he is more devoted to God than anything else. And so they go to Darius and they say, hey, why don't we um, issue a ruling that for 30 days... The only person we can pray to is you. And like most earthly kings, Darius goes, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Let's pray to me. And so they start doing, they start this, and this is what, this is how Daniel reads in Daniel Daniel chapter six. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel gets the news and he does exactly what he did before, just as he had done before. And let's be clear, what Daniel's doing is Daniel is breaking the law. Daniel is living in such a way that is counter to Babylon. And what what happens to Daniel? He gets thrown into the lion's den. But what you don't read in Daniel is you don't read um, his, you know, griping and complaining. He doesn't go to social media to talk about how unfair things have been. Daniel honors the emperor. He follows God and he goes to the lion's den. Just as he had done before. He doesn't back down from his faith. He doesn't drag the emperor's name through the mud. He lives faithfully to God even while in Babylon. And so the next day comes, and this is what happens, starting in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, and look at how he honors the emperor. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lion's. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong to you. Have I done any wrong before you, your majesty? The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted out from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel lives faithfully in Babylon, 
even when it runs counter to Babylon's own laws. So to my knowledge, there is nothing in our country that inhibits us from practicing our faith. We do not live in a scenario like Babylon, and yet we can learn much from Daniel because we're called to live in such a way that honors those that have authority over us. We're called to live in submission. We don't honor, we we don't worship the country, we don't worship the emperor, but we give honor to it. And what happens? It says that if we live that way, if we do such good things, then Gentiles will glorify God. If you know the book of Daniel, what happens next is that, Dan, is that Darius sends a letter to all of his empire. And he says, he gives glory to God. He says, give glory and honor to the God of Daniel. Worship and serve him. Daniel plays out exactly like 1 Peter calls us to live. Daniel plays out in a way that the emperor himself glorifies God in the public square in front of everyone. There were accusations found against Daniel, and they were found to be foolish. And because of that, non-believers honored God. So it, it made me think, you know, as a Christian, there are laws in our country that whether you agree with them or not, we should still abide by. For instance, you, we're, we're taught to wear our seatbelts, right? It's a law. It's the first thing you learn uh, when you get in a car with your parents, when you take driver's ed, we're called to wear a seatbelt. Now, Again, I think you can follow God and wear your seatbelt. I think you can uh, wear your seatbelt everywhere you go and you can still be a Christian, right? We all would agree with that, I hope. And here's the thing. As a Christian then, I think what 1 Peter teaches us is then we follow those laws that don't inhibit our own faith and we do so only offering goodness in response. That's what it means to honor the emperor, to live in submission to those authorities. And so we're called to live like Daniel. And Daniel, likewise, lives as Christ lived. And we're called to live as Christ did. So we submit to those authorities that are, that are over us out of a desire to live as a testimony to God. So Jesus, again, is the best example of this. Jesus lived in such a way that people made accusation after accusation. And they basically had to find a loophole in order to, get, to put him on the cross. And it's even on the cross that Jesus doesn't do what you and I might want to do. But even on the cross, Jesus says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, even on the cross, offers goodness to those around him. So here's here's what I take away from this church. You and I chose this. You and I chose to follow God. Nobody made you do it. Nobody forced you into it. You chose to follow God. And so because of that, we know that there are going to be certain things that come our way. First Peter basically promises that there will be suffering that comes your way because you followed God. And you know what? We do that joyfully anyways. And we also know that we live in such a way that our society may want to cast us out. They might want to treat us as marginalized people, as foreigners and as exiles. And my first instinct when someone treats me that way is to repay them the exactly the same way that they treated me. My first instinct as a human being, as a flawed, broken human, is to treat them poorly if someone treats me poorly. But what First Peter says is that's not how we're called to live. What Peter says is that you live such good lives that they will, test, that they will glorify God in the end. That they will testify about God's goodness because of how you lived. So church, we're called to live like Daniel. 
That when somebody hires you, they should know immediately they made the best hire they ever could because they hired a Christian. And a Christian is going to be someone that works hard for them, that's trustworthy, that's honest, that does a good job. When you, when your neighbor, when you move in in your neighborhood or in your apartment building, they should be so thankful that a Christian moved in next door. That there is not a better neighbor to have than a Christian neighbor. Because while they may not share beliefs or while they might think you're a little different, they know that this person is going to bring goodness to my life. That this person is going to love me just because I'm their neighbor. Church, this is who we're called to be. Even when you leave here today and you go eat at a restaurant, did you know that Christians don't always have the best reputation at a restaurant? That Sunday is not the most longed for day as a waiter or a waitress. And church, that should change. Today should be the day that they want to wait on you. Because these people came from church and not only they're going to be good patrons, they're also going to tip well. Because we live such good lives in front of the world. Again, church, we signed up for this. Nobody forced you to be here, but I will tell you it's the best decision you ever made. That what Jesus Christ has done in your life, you could never do for yourself. That you have a freedom from sin and death because of him. And just as 1 Peter says, is that we, use, we don't use our freedom for evil, but to live as God's slave. See, church, you gave up the submission to sin and death for submission to God. And because of that, we live such good lives that people will glorify him in the end. So church, this is our challenge today. What's happened in the past stays in the past. However you have lived, however you have worked at your workplace, that stays there. But from this day forward, we live such good lives that they will glorify God because they knew you. They will glorify God because of your good acts in the world today. And just as Luke said at the beginning, this is a prayerful church, and we are praying for you today, church, that this transformation will continue to happen in your life. And our elders are are ready to receive you now. They'll receive you in the youth room. They'll receive you in the conference room. We want to pray with you because we know this is an ongoing work in our life to become Christ-like everywhere we go. So that's our hope for you today, church, that as you leave this room today, as you go out back into the world, that people would come to know God and they would glorify him because of your good actions. Let's stand and sing.